Well, this year we've been talking about risking more for Jesus Christ. And to do that, we're asking God to make us, so that includes you, to make us a generation of Christians who have the courage to stand, the confidence to actually speak up. So we're we're trashing that whole notion of preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Shut up. You must use words. That's nonsense. We got to use words or they'll just think you're a really nice guy, nice woman. And be, be so glad someone still has some values. Connect it to Jesus. Connect it to the gospel. Courage to stand. Confidence to speak up. And we're not just angry Christians shouting words. A heart that's willing to sacrifice sacrifice so that others outside the walls of our church family could come to know the joy and freedom that we have now in Christ. Because when Jesus comes into your life, it's more than religion, it's a relationship. When Jesus lives in you and comes into your life, I'm telling you what, it changes not only the way you see the world around you, it changes what you seek. Changes what you see, it changes what you seek. In other words, when you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's far more than religion and trappings and tradition. It changes how you see the world around you and everybody else around you. And it changes what you live for. And it takes your list of priorities and it turns it upside down and it shakes it so that it all falls out in a very different order. So that you start to look, dare I say... Radical. Radical in the way that you live. And here's what I mean by that. As far as what you treasure and prize and worship and chase after, you just look so different. Your value system should look so different when Jesus lives in you and this gets a hold of you. But all that being absolutely true, let me tell you something else that some of you already know all too well. This Jesus living inside of us that should radically change the way we see and what we seek, here's some bad news. It still bumps up against this sinful earth suit that we're trapped in until Jesus comes or he takes you home. So that, get this, if you're not careful, it is possible that you could actually go on living in some ways very much just like you did before Jesus came into your life. Limping along, struggling, confused, and constantly overwhelmed and tempted to quit this whole thing called the Christian life. I, just, I hear people say, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. No, you can't without the basic equipment that he's given us. And so I'm not picking on you if that's you here today and you say, I am that person. I'm constantly ready to quit, 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 quit and overwhelmed. This whole little series is for you. And I hope this doesn't shock you and for me because I'm tempted to get overwhelmed as well. And so we've got to know what the basic equipment is that he's given us and not just know it, but put it into practice and get it in our lives And so that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing this whole little series. And we've already looked at what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So if you did not hear that, get online and listen to that. We've already looked at what it means that God has given us His Word to feed us and lead us. That was last week. Get online and listen to that. One of the best messages I've ever heard as to why we should read God's Word. But now today, I want to take that whole Word of God piece and take it to the next level as I push why you should memorize and meditate on big chunks of the Bible. And I'm going to take the exact same approach that Pastor Peter did last week. I'm not going to take this 45 minutes to to show you how to memorize big chunks of the Bible. I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm convinced the things that we get excited about, passionate about, stirred up about, we'll figure out the how. We figure out how to get things done once it's important, once we've been gripped by it, Nothing can stop us. So I want to tell you why. I want to share with you, and this is very personal. This is one of the most personal messages I have done in a long time. I don't want you to hear that I've been faking all the others. But you know how there's certain things where when you get a chance to communicate that, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is coming right out of, right out of my heart. This has changed my life. This has changed my life. 
So I want to share with you personally what this has done in my life and what this could do in your life as we get a hold of this. I want to tell you the why, and I'm hoping that it'll light a fire in you that is so hot you can't wait to get out of here. You'll trample across, you'll hurt yourself to get going doing what I talk about today. Ready? Buckle up. Number one, reasons you should memorize and meditate on big chunks of the scripture. Number one, it is one of the best ways to keep God's word from becoming spiritual fast food. You understand what I'm saying? Did you know you could read God's word? Actually read it. So there's a bunch of you sitting here. You don't even read it. I don't know what to say to you. Go get in a group and just be really sad. I don't even know what to say to you. I'm talking to people who read it, but you're not reading it the right way. Okay? Did you know you could actually read the Bible and get little or nothing out of it? Just like woofing down a bag of Junior Whoppers from Burger King. It's food, but it ain't good. All right? Sorry, if you work for Burger King and your own one. It's like, you could read God's word and still get little or nothing out of it. It could happen. It's happening all around us. But I don't want it to happen to me. And I don't want it to happen to you in my church family sitting here. I don't want it to happen to any of us. Because see, here's what we're bumping up against. Here is the challenge. It's a blessing and a curse. And that's how it always works. Some of the things that are the biggest blessings have an Achilles heel that is a, is a terrible thing. The internet and high-speed media devices today have changed our lives. And I'd be the first to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't go to the library to pull out the card catalog. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But many of you do. I never understood it. I never figured it out. I can't find stuff. Now I just spin to my computer and I Google. Bam, I can find out what Bill Gates made last year. I can find sermon illustrations. I can, whoo, I love it. I love the internet. I love high-speed devices. I love what it's done for us. But let me tell you one of the worst things that has happened. All of these high speed devices have taught us how not to read. It's taught us how not to read. See, here's, here's the deal. We've become a generation of information scanners. There's so much. You're scanning recipes. You're scanning restaurants. You're scanning this. You're scanning that. We don't read anything anymore. We scan. We skim. We browse. We surf. But we have forgotten how to chew and digest our food. And listen to me. If you say, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. It's only when you begin to chew and digest God's word that it changes your life. If you read your Bible the way you're reading most everything else today now. I've read articles that say that people start at the beginning of the article. They read the top left and they jump down to the bottom right. Please don't do that with the Bible. It won't make sense. A. I want it to change my life. You cannot do that. And see, we've become a generation now that has no patience for deeper, reflective Reading and thinking. And so we've got a generation of Christians, I do believe today, who are living unexamined lives because they don't know God very well and they don't know their own hearts well enough because these things take time. And you have to slow down and invest some time to get a hold of that. That's what memorizing big chunks of the Bible will do for you. But I know some of you might be saying right now, okay, yeah, 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 so sorry I came because I can't memorize. And you're hitting the exit doors. Let me, let me pop that sad balloon for a minute, okay? If you've got the little I can't memorize balloon right there in your hand, bam, let me address that. Unless you are part of the very small percentage of human beings who have suffered a traumatic brain injury or stroke or disability, look me in the eye. You can memorize. You can memorize. In fact, I would tell you this. Don't say I can't memorize because I have such a bad memory. So do I. Really. In fact, it's because of my bad memory that you and I must 
memorize. Because it's only when I work hard to memorize what I say is most important to me that I take it and drive it down into my long-term memory because my short-term memory is so bad. How about that? If I was closer to you, I'd just bump chest. Only if you're a man, bump. If you're a woman, I'd just say, there. You say, Brad, you have a bad memory? Yes, horrible, horrible. I can't find my way home from somebody's house at the end of the evening. It drives my wife nuts. I start to go the wrong way of the driver. She's like, honey, it's left. I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. It's like, I have no idea how I got here. It's just, it's blank. I'm just sitting there. And she's just like, you just go backwards exactly what? No idea. The other day we went to somebody's house in two separate cars and she left and I left, but I lost sight of her taillights and they had one of those little roundabouts in their neighborhood. I went round and it shot me off in this way into the condo and I came back and it shot me another way and it shot me another way. I pulled to the side and said, God of the heavens, help me. I want to see my family again. I want to see my home. I can't get out. I kid you not. I got home and she's like, where have you been? I said, going round and round and round that thing. Burning up gas at 250 a gallon and saying, God help me. Finally, I shot on the fifth choice. I said, put a big sign that says really out. Seriously out. Out of the neighborhood. There was no sign. How am I supposed to know this? She's like, just, she acted like it was just duh. It's like not duh. There's five choices and I took them all. I mean, the big joke in our family, I kid you not, is I can't remember last year's vacation. They'll be talking about stuff, and I'll, I'll have this, you know, dog-cocked-head look, and they'll say, I'll, I'll say, was I there? And they'll say, you were there? I'll say, did I have fun? You had fun? I have a bad memory, but by God's grace, I've been able to memorize and remember hundreds of your names. And more importantly, big chunks of the Bible. Now, that's what I blame it on when I say, I say, I only got so much space and I'm using it up on your names and the Bible. So I can't find my way home. So God bless the boys trying to know his people's names and the Bible. And there's no more room for anything else. But folks, to do this, you got to slow down. You got to slow down. And that's why in Job 37, 14, it says, stand still. And consider the works of God. That's why Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. You got to slow down and chew your food. And when you do, look at me, it will change your life. It will change your life when you start chewing your spiritual food. Number two, I'm giving you reasons you should buy into memorizing and meditating on big chunks of the Bible. Number two, Because it is one of the absolute best ways to stop feeling like a total stranger in the presence of the Lord. And to start building intimacy. You ever wonder, you ever have those moments you just think, I don't know the Lord like other people do. She seems to really know the Lord. It's just not, I just feel like total stranger. I know about him, but I don't know him. I know of him, but I don't know him. Now, part of it is he's infinite. And so this will be a lifelong progress of knowing him more and more and more. I don't want to discount that. But folks, listen to me. When you begin to memorize and meditate on big chunks of scripture, you stop feeling so much like a stranger in his presence. And you start building intimacy. See, some of you struggle to live out loud for Jesus, this whole thing we're talking about. You struggle. I don't mean to be mean, but let me tell you something. You struggle to speak up and sacrifice in any way because you don't know him very well. Nobody's willing to lay down their life for a mere acquaintance. Very few people will sacrifice for someone they barely know. And so that's the problem right there. Some of you sitting here today say you know Jesus, but it's like you're dating Jesus. He's just arm candy. You're not in love with him. You don't know him. And when you're in love and you know him and you've been sitting at his feet and he's sweet and you're experiencing a relationship with him, it's not a question of I should speak up. It's it's just I can't keep from talking about him. Some of you don't know him very well. There's not an intimacy. And that comes 
from memorizing, meditating on big passages of Scripture. You want to see this change? You want to speak up more? You want to have some more confidence? Don't just pray for courage. Some of you are saying, this whole courage thing is making me uncomfortable. Oh, God, give me courage. Oh, God, give me courage. Help me get on board with what they're talking about at church. It's never going to happen if this, my friend, is sitting on your dresser, on your coffee table, or worse yet, in the floorboard of your car so you'll be ready next Sunday because that's the next time you'll use it. It ain't happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Somebody say, ouch. You want to know God more intimately? Know his word. It doesn't happen in some spooky way. It's like, oh man, I was hiking through the Red River Gorge and oh, I know him like I've never known him. Jesus is facing an omelet. Set all the omelet stuff aside. It's like, as you know his word more, and I mean really know it, and you meditate on it, and you chew your way through it, and you delight in it, you start to know him. Him. And you, got, you do that by doing what the psalmist did when he said in Psalm 63. The psalmist said in Psalm 63, 6 to 8, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you've been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I'll rejoice. My soul follows close behind you and your right hand upholds me. Look at me. Does that not sound intimate? Let me ask you, not perfectly, But have you experienced to any degree in your life your soul following close after God and a sense of his right hand upholding you? Oh, that's sweet. That comes when you meditate on him. When you read slowly, when you seek to memorize and drive truth deep down inside of you. And I've got some really good news for you. Let me hit a pause and give a little... Aside, if you're here and you're younger, kids, younger kids, young boy, young girl, teenager, maybe even brand new Christian, here's where this gets really exciting. This doesn't take years for it to happen. You want to get on the fast track of intimacy with God and you don't feel like so much a stranger and you feel like you know him? Start memorizing and meditating on big chunks of scripture and you can be way ahead of people who say, oh, I became a Christian 35 years ago and, you, and it's like, so what's happened since then, my friend? It's like, you don't know him. There's no courage. You don't look very much like Christ. There's no sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. You just got 40 years of baby shallow Christianity because you probably spent 40 years watching TV and doing all kinds of other things and this has been ignored. Ignore this and you'll continue to feel like a stranger in the presence of the Lord. Intimacy with God comes through. Digging into his word. Waiting on him. Delighting in his word. Samuel was just a young boy. Young boy. When God called out to him. It says in 1 Samuel 3.21. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. Not by an omelet. Not by a cloud. Not by a spooky, amazing feeling where the hair on his neck stood up. By the word of the Lord. Word. Now, let me stop and clarify what it is I'm really pushing, because some of you already may be thinking, oh, I'm not into memorizing big chunks of the scripture, and I don't have time, blah, 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 blah. This, this, this will help you. I'm actually, even though I've already used the word many times, not pressing. That's not the end game. I'm actually not pressing for you to memorize big chunks of scripture. Did you know the Bible actually doesn't say a lot about memorizing? It says all kinds of things about meditating it just so happens the only the best way i know for brad bigney to start meditating on god's word is to try to memorize it because my memory's so bad i have to go over and over and over and add a phrase and by the time i had two more phrases i forgot the first phrase so i don't care if it takes me till jesus comes the point isn't stick the landing and i can quote these word perfect you see kids quote it sometimes like they're not even thinking okay that's not what we're after if you got a bad memory, you can actually be a better meditator. Because you got to do it and do it and do it. And that's what meditation is. You slow down and you chew your way through a verse. Or you chew your way through a passage. And then you got to do it again. And then you got to do it again. And then you got to do it again. And you are getting such good out of God's word. 
Let me, let me explain to you exactly what this looks like. This is not in your notes. This is bonus. This all happened in my den yesterday. Isaiah 31.4. Isaiah 31.4 says, As a young lion growls over his prey. Here's what I think is cool. I can picture that, can't you? A lion that's got the sad little dead gazelle. Maybe it's still twitching, kicking one leg. Sorry. Low, throaty, growling and rumbling, rumbles of pleasure as he gnaws and savors his prize. If that's too upsetting, just switch to your house dog. You throw him the Easter ham bone and they scurry off and they look at you like, don't even think about taking this. And then they just happy little rumblings. Tongue just flapping all over. And it's like when you think nothing else could be gotten from that, they're still biting and gnawing and savoring. And, right? I said, Brad, what is your point? There's a good one. That Hebrew word in Isaiah 31.4, as a lion growls over his prey, is the word Hagah. And it's the word that most often gets translated in our English translation as meditate. Does that not change what you think about meditation? It does for me. When I think meditate, I usually think in a quiet chapel with some candles lit and some incense and you could do that. Or in a, in a beautiful garden outside with my Bible open in my lap. But it's not aggressive enough. That's too tame and it's too passive to capture what he's saying when he says haga. It means to take God's word and to sink your teeth down into it. And to pull off a chunk and to chew it. And just tear it apart. Slow down and get all the good Growl over God's word. Rainer Maria Rilke describes what we're talking about when she talks about someone who reads their Bible this way. She says, it's someone who doesn't just stay hunched over the pages of their Bible, but will often lean back, close their eyes over a specific line that they're reading Again, and its meaning spreads through their blood. Folks, that's very different than speed reading the Bible with Good Morning America on. Your mind's not hardly even in gear. Eyes are just moving across words so you can check off the box and say, there, I read my Bible. And let me say this. I've pushed reading the whole Bible. Yes, I have. I read it all in a year. Yes, I do. But let me say to you, you have my permission now from your pastor. If that's reading too much and you have to go too fast, please don't read the Bible in a year. Because I want you to growl over the scriptures. If it takes you two, three, four, or five years to get all the way through the Bible, go slow enough that you can pull off a piece. Throw your head back, close your eyes, and just think about that line or phrase Again, so it spreads through your spiritual blood system. That's when it begins to change your life, my friend. I want it to change my life. That's when it begins to change your life. And so now let's tie this back into how this practice of growling over God's word can build intimacy with God. Think about it. You can only know a few superficial things about somebody from looking at what they make. But if you really want to know somebody well, you listen to what they say, right? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, listen, friends, I'm moved by creation also. I love the chance to go to Glacier National Park and see his handiwork. I love Red River Gorge right here. I love all kinds of things that show me. But mountains, mountains and galaxies and microbes and rainforests, they do show us something about our God. But if you really want to know him well, and you really want to be in awe of the most glorious things about him, you have to listen well to what he says about himself. And there's things you would never figure out from just looking around at what he made. Would you ever figure out that you can look around and say, he's awesome. But would you ever know he knows you by name and the number of your hairs on your head and cares about you and wants to be intimate with you and thinks about you? You're never going to figure that out from a canyon. 
But you read it in his word. And you say, oh my goodness, this God that is so awesome that he flung these galaxies in place wants to know me, sent his son to die for me. You only get that by reading his word. You want to stop being such a stranger in the presence of God? You want to build intimacy? Memorize. Meditate. What's the word I want you to think of with meditate forevermore now? Growl over his word. Number three. Talking about reasons you should do this. Number three. Here's why you should do this. Because it's one of the absolute best ways to feed your courage to obey God. No matter what. No matter what is going on in our scary world. And folks... It's getting scarier and scarier. There's plenty of reasons to be afraid. There's plenty of reasons to lose sleep. There's plenty of reasons to be anxious. I'm telling you what. You want to feed courage? You want to feed courage to face whatever is going on and still stand for Christ? You've got to memorize, meditate, growl over, slow down as you chew your food. There is a huge connection in the Bible. Don't miss it. If you haven't seen it, look for it. There's a huge connection in the Bible between God's word and courage. God's word and courage. Look for it. Both Old and New Testament, you will see this. We're not the first Christians to struggle with fear, people. I get afraid. Yes, I have moments of horrible fear. I do. But you better know, like I have learned, where to go to to push past your fears. Think about this. Imagine Joshua. Can you imagine being called to step into the shoes of Moses, one of the greatest leaders that ever lived? Step into the shoes of Moses after he died and lead five million people. And if you read it, were these easy to deal with people? Oh, my word. There's not any of those around. I love you, but just leading you is just about done me in. And I love you. But oh my goodness, I can't imagine five million of you. Here's what I think is neat. When I get super duper discouraged, almost every significant leader in the Bible asks God to kill him. Just kill me, God. Kill me. This is too hard. Kill me. So that encourages me. I'm in good company when I'm like, I can't do this. They're all so unhappy and they're all saying different things. And oh, I'm okay. Thanks for that moment. And I love you. But I'm telling you what, this leading people is doggone hard. You say, but these are Christians. Oh, shut up. That doesn't change how hard it is. Maybe you don't cuss, but you're still difficult. Difficult. And so he says, take these five million people into the promised land. Okay. And it's still filled with enemies. I didn't drive them out for you. You're going to have to. And some of them are giants. And they have walled cities and massive armaments and iron chariots. Oh, goody. Imagine that is your assignment. So is it any wonder that God says to Joshua in Joshua 1, 8, and 9, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate. What? Growl over it. How often? Every once in a while? Day and night. Growl over it day and night so you'll be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. I'm telling you what. You want to feel like the Lord your God is with you? You want to have what it takes to to not be terrified and not be overly discouraged. You're going to have to growl over God's word. You're going to have to slow it down. You're going to have to learn to chew your food and digest it. And you'll start to have courage like you just do not have on your own. You say, but Brad, things are so bad today. Listen to me. We're not the first group of Christians that have been called upon to stand for God and the things of God in a culture that is wide from the things of God. We're not the first. Let me point out three guys, just three. The Apostle John, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Apostle John, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were all called to speak up for God in a day that was a, a incredibly, incredibly resistant to the people of God and hostile to the things of God. And so look at me, I'm gonna tell you something. He said to all three of these men, eat this book. Not skim it, 
browse it, scan it, surf it, with the TV on and headphones in, where you can't even hardly think. Eat it. Eat this book. I mean, chew on it, get it deep down inside you, assimilate it so it becomes a part of who you are so that you think this way. You just think this way. You know who God is and what he said. You know who God is and what he said. You know the promises of God and the character of God. You know the unfailing nature of God so that when your knees are buckling and shaking, you can still take baby shaking steps forward. Eat this book. St. John was a pastor of a marginal, politically and economically powerless group of Christians who were living in a day when the government had branded followers of Christ as enemies of the state. Does that sound eerily familiar to the day I think we're moving into more and more? And I don't say that to cause you to run screaming out of here, sky is falling, but I'm telling you folks, Things are not going to get better. We're not going to vote in godly people. Those days are over. How are you going to stand? How are you going to still speak up? Right now we're just being marginalized and mocked. What about the day comes when you will be arrested and it's illegal? Will you speak? Will you stand? Will you sacrifice? I don't think you will unless you've learned how to growl over God's word. And chew your food and digest it. And chew your food and digest it. And no, we're not the first to suffer. We're not the first to be afraid. We're not the first to be called upon to live. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were both living in a day where wicked pagan government, the Babylonians, horrible, were coming in, whipping up on them and dragging them off into exile. And so with all three of these men who lived in desperate times with a culture that was way wide of godliness, God said to them, eat this book, eat this book. Let me show you some of what God said to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 6 through 310. He says, And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. Don't you get afraid when you hear some of what Obama or other people are saying, laws that are trying to be passed, people that are working hard to make us actually enemies and haters. If you keep saying you believe this, you're a hater. If you keep saying this, you're actually the problem. We're coming after you. There was a day where the world just said, go off in your corner, Christians, and go ahead and sing songs and talk about this. We'll allow you. We don't want to hear it. Now they're coming after us. They're coming over to our corner saying, you will not even talk that way. You will not believe that. I'll tell you what to believe. And if you believe differently or speak differently, this is going to happen to you. That day is coming. If you haven't learned how to growl over God's word and pull off pieces and chew it and digest it and get all the good, you will not be able to stand. And you can be afraid of their looks. You get afraid of their words. You get afraid of their looks. If you speak up and say you're a Christian now, I mean, most often people look at you like, I bet you're a bigot. I bet you're totally wrong on women and you're wrong on homosexuality and you're wrong on this and you're You're one of the worst people I know. Their looks... And their words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. How am I going to not be afraid? Eat this book. Eat this book. Eat this book. God would say to us the same thing he said to Apostle John and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Eat this book. Eat this book. Eat this book. Eat this book. And when you do, you'll be like the psalmist in Psalm 138 who said, you've magnified your word above your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and you made me bold with strength in my soul. You want to have more boldness deep down inside? Growl over God's word. Chew it. Digest it. Number four, we talked about reasons why to do this because of what happens in your life. You should do this because it's one of the absolute best ways to sharpen your mind to think biblically and to keep from getting sucked into the world's lies. Oh, my goodness. You want to have a sharp biblical mind and to be able to spot deception and lies? You better growl over this word and get this word deep down inside of you. Because here's what you're up against, folks. Satan is called the father of lies in John 8, 44. He says in 1 John 5, 19, that this world right now lies under the power of Satan and is working in conjunction with Satan to promote his lies. And as if that wasn't bad enough, to top it off, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, your own heart is working against you and is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? 
Oh my word, is there hope? There is. How are you gonna, how are you gonna sort out and not listen to Satan's lies, the world's lies, and your own lies that come right up from your own heart? I'll tell you how. By growling over God's word. By growling over God's word, getting it deep down inside you. The psalmist said in 119, 9 to 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. New King James says, your word I've hidden in my heart. Why? What, what happens? What happens when you really know God's word and you've got it imprinted on your mind and your heart? So that I might not sin against you. You can avoid some of the pitfalls and traps and deceptions of this world so much more easily when you know God's word. You got it down in your heart. Number five, why should you do this? What's one of the benefits? Oh my goodness, it's one of the best ways to settle yourself down and to redirect your emotions. Did you know that you can redirect your emotions? I'm not against emotions. I'm so glad God gave us emotions. But if you're that person that lives by your emotions, you'll just ride the ride. And it's not that fun. High highs and low lows and high highs and low lows. Whew. You better know how to redirect your emotions. And just shutting them off is not the way to go. Very fruitless. You just try to not be afraid. Try to not worry. Try to not. It is much more easy to feed and lead your emotions in a new direction. You say, Brad, feed them and lead them with what? You spend time growling over God's word. You growl your way through a psalm. And you see the psalmist was terrified too. Watch what will happen. You can feed and lead your emotions in a new direction. And just begin to settle down. The job hasn't changed. That thing that made you so scared. That thing that woke you up in the middle of the night. It hadn't gone away. But you're different. God's word. God's word. In a hurry? Speed reading God's word? No. TV on at the same time? Nope. Growling over it. See, look what happened to the psalmist. Let me give you an example of this. Psalm 143, 3 to 6. He says, for the enemy has persecuted my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me and my heart within me is distressed. I don't think there's a human being sitting here that is sitting there unless you're super duper young saying, I don't know what he's talking about. Don't you have those times you're like, I am overwhelmed. My emotions are raging and running wild. I'm so distressed. So you can relate to that. My concern is there's a lot of you sitting here. You don't don't know how to relate to what he's about to say next. He knew what to do. He knew how to redirect his emotions and settle down. Look what he does. Look what he does. I remember the days of old. I meditate or I what? I growl. Over all your works, I muse on the works of your hand. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Number six, why should you do this? Why should you take time? Because it's one of the best ways to develop a spiritual root system. Spiritual root system so that you can really start to get traction in your Christian life and become more like Christ. Some of you sitting here, if you were honest, you'd have to say, when I hear testimonies sometimes, whether it's in small group or here on Sunday with microphones or, or on the radio, whatever, I just can't relate to what people are saying. It's just, how do other people, what am I missing? What's the secret to the Christian life? They seem to move forward and they have tragedy and they're still joyful. They trust God. They persevere. I just don't have whatever it is. If you feel like you're always just spinning your wheels in the Christian life and not getting any traction... Let me lovingly ask you to seriously consider when you slow down and you memorize and you meditate and you growl over God's word, he tells us you start to get traction in the Christian life and you start to become more like Christ. Let me show you what I'm talking about. First Timothy chapter four, verse 13 and 15. Paul's writing Timothy, young Timothy, scared. He's timid. He's leading the first church there in Ephesus, filled with problems. He says to Timothy, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, doctrine. That shouldn't surprise us. Yeah, make sure you're reading good stuff. Make sure you got good doctrine. 
But that's not all he says. He pushes it further. What does he say next? Meditate on these things. And then he pushes it more. Give yourself entirely to them. You want to make progress? You got to meditate on the truth of who God is and sovereignty and what his church really is about and why he's called us to stand and why we speak for Jesus and why the gospel is the only way. And you can't just in a superficial, fuzzy, general way know these things. You need to have it imprinted on your heart and mind deep down inside you. Because watch what happens next. It's what some of you want. But here it comes. When you meditate on these things and you give yourself entirely to them, you shut off the computer. You stop surfing for two and a half hours every night while you don't even read your Bible for five minutes that day. And you say you don't have time. You have time. You waste time. If you just added up the time you checked your iPhone or Android in a typical day all day long and took those minutes and added them together, you could probably spend 30 minutes with the Lord reading his word. How important is it to check Facebook one more time or to look at your Twitter one more time? You have time. Because look what will happen. So that your progress may be evident to all. When you meditate on these things and give yourself to these things, you start to make progress and get traction like other people don't. It's what you see in Psalm chapter 1. You actually see an example of that spiritual root system where he says in Psalm 1, Blesses the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he what? Or growls. How often? Day and night. And look what happens. When you growl over God's word, you pull off pieces and you chew it and you throw your head back, close your eyes and think about it again. You'll be like the tree planted by streams of water and you'll bring forth your fruit in its season and your leaf does not wither. Look at me. Some of you are always pointing to your circumstances as to why you're so dry and brittle and you could just snap at any moment. There are people with tragically barren, terrible circumstances that still have green leaf and persevere. Why? They have a spiritual root system and they have tapped into something that is beyond circumstances. It's not their earthly relationships. It's not their money. It's not their job. It's not any of that. They have tapped into something that's way beyond that. And so can you. You want to be that tree like it's planted by living waters? Even though people say, your marriage is not that great. Your health is terrible. Your finances are wrecked. Your kids are not what you'd hope for. But why do you have joy? How do you persevere? Why aren't you curled up in a fetal position on five psychotropic drugs? Because I've tapped in to living, life-giving, hope-sustaining truth. Because I've been growling over God's word. You don't get this in a hurry. But you can have it. You can have this. Number seven. Do this because it's one of the very best ways to keep life in perspective and live for what matters most. Oh, I push this all the time. I want to finish well. I want you to finish well. I want us to have an eternal perspective. But oh my goodness, don't you feel like you just get beat down with the temporal and the trivial. The temporal and the trivial. Everything in the world just grabs me and sucks me down like a giant magnet to the temporal and the trivial. I feel like my head is just smashed to the mat continually and that I'm losing. How do I ever raise my little head? And even sometimes get up on both knees and yea, verily, sometimes actually stand. As I growl over God's word, it's like... He pulls back the curtain and gives you that eternal perspective again. You're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. That's right, there's more. It's bigger. It's not all right here, right now. Look at what the psalmist says, how this had an effect on him for an eternal perspective. Psalm 39, verse three to seven. My heart grew hot within me as I, what? Meditated. The fire burned. Listen to me. When you growl over God's word, here's what starts to happen. You get hot for God. You start to get a passion for the things of God because you're getting to know him. A fire gets burned and I want you to see what happens next. When that gets stirred, you will start asking God for things that aren't even on other people's radar. You're not asking for that nice car, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. That just means nothing to you. Look what the psalmist asked God for when his heart started to get hot from, from meditating. 
I spoke my tongue. Oh, show me, oh Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You've made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. In fact, man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not even knowing who will get it. When you growl over God's word, you get an eternal perspective that causes you to actually ask for things other people don't ask. Say, God, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this. The way I'm thinking right now, the way I'm seeing life right now, help me keep this. Help me keep this. Don't let me get caught up in houses and cars and money that I'm, I'm going to leave to people. I don't even know how they'll spend it, what they'll do with it. What does he ask for? Oh, but now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in You growl over God's word and it'll help you keep an eternal perspective and live for what matters most and not waste your life. Number eight, you meditate and growl over God's word and you will start to get insights of understanding about the Bible and stabs of conviction of ways to personally apply it like you've never had before. Two great things. I love John Piper. He's mentored me though he doesn't know me. And I used to like, I would read his take on a passage and I'm like, oh, I'm nothing. How does he see this stuff? How does he get that? I didn't see that. That's amazing. And then I read several articles he wrote where he said he meditates on passages and he chews his way through them over and over and over and you start to get insights. And guess what? I'm not John Piper, but I got on board and I've got baby insights, preschool insights, I've got more insights than I used to have as I've meditated. And, and you start to see connections. You're like, I have not seen that before. I did not notice that before. And then here's the other good thing. Sometimes you read your Bible and I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to apply that. Ah, how do I apply that to my life? I'll assign that to my counselees sometimes. And tell me three ways you can apply that to life. And they just come in like, I have no idea. When you meditate, the Holy Spirit will start to stab you. Oh, listen, listen. You'll go from how would I apply that to my life to ow. I see all too clearly about five ways that would apply. So let me give you a cute little phrase I thought of just this morning. You growl over God's word and you can go from how to ow as you growl. Okay. You'll stop saying, I don't know how to apply that. I don't know how to apply that. I, And you'll start saying, I can't even begin to apply. I'm so convicted. It's like stab, 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 stab. As you meditate and growl over it. Let me just give you one example in my life. I had a number of passages, but because of time, I'm just going to share one. I've memorized Philippians 4, 4 to 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearance be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But too many people stop. He then says, whatever's true and noble and just and admirable and lovely and pure, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, meditate on such things. It's my choice whether I'm gonna look at the glass half empty or half full, but then he pushes it even more. You still have stopped too soon if you stop there because then he says, the things that you've seen and heard and received from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. From meditating and growling over that passage, I was struck by, so often we just said, God, give me peace. I need more peace. I'm so upset right now in this marriage. I'm so upset with the kids. I'm so upset about our financial calamity. I'm gonna say something. You do not get the peace of God while you ignore or resist the word of God. What do you know that he says about your marriage that you're refusing to do, but you still want a better marriage and peace? What do you know about finances that you're refusing to do as in, tithe to your local church and give to other people in need. And you keep saying, I need some financial peace. And that's a great class that we offer. 
But let me tell you, financial peace begins with financial obedience. And don't wait till your financial household's in order. Get on that path and you say, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what your word says. Some of you are here and you refuse to forgive somebody and you just live in turmoil and you want peace. You don't get peace while you choose bitterness and refuse to forgive. What is God telling you from his word that you know is right, but you've said, not going there. Oh, but give me peace. The things you've heard and learned and received from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I've said it before, but as I close, I want to go on record as saying it again. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm standing here today, still your pastor after almost 20 years, still in love with Jesus, still madly in love with my first wife after 28 years, and still willing to risk, live kind of open, and try to love other sinful people, both outside the church, and I'll tell you what's been much harder, inside the church who keep biting and hurting me in ways that I never imagined I would face. And still willing to get up and do the next thing regardless of how discouraged I am because of the life-giving, look at me and not whoever that is, (laughs) the life-giving, life-changing impact of eating this book. Not reading. Eating this book has had a greater impact and has had a greater sustaining effect in my life to be able to persevere and not give up than anything else in this world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and forgive us that while we have it in our language, in multiple translations, it lies unused, unread, ungrowled over. Oh, stir us to change our schedules, change our alarm, change our TV habits, change whatever it takes so that we can growl over God's word, so that we can stand, so that we'll have a spiritual root system, so that we'll have intimacy with you, so that we'll have insights and conviction. Oh, God, there's so much good that's right out there for us if we'll growl over your word. Make us a growling people that we might have maximum impact on this lost world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.